Hello and welcome to the Taste Uber Music Podcast. I'm Diana Lynn. After a 40-year career in corporate America, I took a huge U-turn and became a volunteer DJ on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Since 2010, I've been the host, programmer, and engineer of a weekly Americana Roots music show, The Tasty Brew. With this podcast, I'll be sharing conversations with artists and music industry insiders with the goal of entertaining and educating the listening audience, all while giving a voice to the music makers that are underserved or ignored by mainstream media. Amy Spies is a modern troubadour whose music is reminiscent of folk music's 1970s glory days. She spent the last 20 years on the road chasing her dreams from New York City to Nashville to around the world. She has built an international audience without the help of a major label, performing an average of 150 shows a year, including the Glastonbury Festival and NPR's Mountain Stage. Discovered and mentored by Judy Collins during the early 2000s, Spies left her career as a classically trained Shakespearean actress and kicked off a string of reclaimed albums. She was championed by the likes of the New York Times and NPR for her solo work. I personally love her work as a member of Applewood Road, a harmony-heavy trio. Me and the Ghost of Charlemagne, her latest work, captures Amy at her now mature core with stripped down songs that showcase her amazing voice and stellar songwriting chops. She's no longer focused on the elusive holy grail of fame and fortune. She's more than satisfied with the strange and crazy trip this life is. She is a reinvested and re-energized songwriter who is nowhere near finished with what she has to offer. I share my 2013 origin story with Amy at the beginning of this conversation. A lot has happened to the both of us in the intervening six years. Amy had just suffered the loss of her much beloved father less than two weeks before. We spoke right before her first show after having to cancel quite a few dates. And I will always be most grateful for her kindness and consideration for granting me the opportunity to spend some quality time with one of my favorite Americana artists. I'm sure our mutual music lover, Tom Green, was smiling down on us from the other side of the ether and sending us virtual hugs. Enjoy this conversation with folk singer Amy Spies. I don't know whether you remember our origin story or not. No. Um, but I will tell you what it is. Um, I was at uh, Americana Fest mm-hmm. in 2013, I believe, and I went to the Rutledge to see Kim Ritchie. Oh, yeah. And you were there. Uh, I think right before her. Yeah. And so I get to the Rutledge, and it's one of my first Americana Fest, and I'm flying solo. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and there's one seat available, and it's in the front row, and this mm-hmm. older gentleman's sitting there with a bunch of camera equipment. I thought, I'm just going to go ask him if I can sit at his table. And it turns out it was Tom Green, and that's the night we met, and we became fast friends after that. But he was there to see you. Mm. Um, And he spent the whole lead-up to your set a commercial for Amy Smith. <laughs> Why I should know about you because he knew I was on the radio and he and he knew that I would really you know like yeah. your music and everything. So that's the first time that I ever um, saw you perform, and I've tried to make it a point to see you whenever I can when I'm in Nashville or when you're we're coming through here. But um, wow, a lot's happened since then. Yeah, 2013. I think I had strings with me on stage that show. Yes, yeah. and uh, but just. Even though it was only six years ago. Oh, my gosh. Six years ago, though. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. A lot's happened. A lot has happened for yeah. both <laughs> for both yeah, of us since yeah. that time. So um, one of the first songs that I played uh, on the show that really got the most response, probably still to this date, is um, Seeing the Shore. Mm-hmm. I 
whenever I play that song, somebody new calls in, and it really, really, really touches people. I don't know that I know the story, if you mm. would share it with me, how John Fulbright became involved in oh, that project or in that video. There's not really a story behind that. I, I wrote that song with Robbie Hecht, mm-hmm. and so the story of us writing it is a more involved story. John Fulbright, it's just I wanted a gruff voice and I knew John. I, I, I'd known John for a few years, and I loved his music. And his record was coming out on 30 Tigers. I was on 30 Tigers. The ground, from the ground up. That, that yeah, one. it yeah. was the, the one that was nominated for a Grammy. Mm-hmm. But this was before, I think it was even right before that album came out. And I had known of him and basically just was friends with him and called him and said, Hey, I have this song, and I, I'd love... I'd love you to do this. I can send you the track, and then you just do that part on your own. He said, no, well, I come to Nashville. I said, well, if you're coming to Nashville to record it, let's also do a video of it. And um, so he just came into the studio. It's a very artistic video. Mm. I mean, it's it's so many videos now seem to just uh, take the easy road where it's a performance video where you've got the stage and it's mm-hmm. you know a concert or whatever mm-hmm. like that but this you know has the big marionettes and yeah it's very artistic well i wanted i, I was emotional I, and i had a i think i had a dream about i come from the theater so i i, I definitely like like to visualize my own videos and and although i hire somebody to do them cuz i don't know anything about that um, but the puppets were my idea. And I said to Corby Lenker, who mm-hmm. was doing the video at the time, I said, I, I want to find puppets to act out this story. I don't want it to be me. Um, and he, there's a Nashville, I didn't know that there was a Nashville puppet theater and they had marionettes. Yeah, and, we have one here too. And I, um, he found them and I wasn't there when he filmed that. Uh, so I didn't see it until it was complete. Um, he really wanted to have me and John just kind of, you know, beautifully walking through, you know, some woods in Nashville. And it was about, I think it was about 18 degrees that day. It looked cold. It was kind of freezing. In fact, the woman who did my hair was supposed to be with us through the whole thing, and she completely ghosted out she and bailed. left. She bailed. I didn't even say goodbye. Just left. It was that cold. Wow. <laughs> I mean, God bless her. But Well, it's it's a stunning piece of work. And, and whenever, like I said, whenever I play it on, mm-hmm. on air, there's an emotional attachment to it. I mean, there's, there's one woman in particular that just was devastated by Mm. it, you know, and I think that that's kind of the power that you all have over, over Mm. us. And that's Robbie Heck too. I mean, I always want to shout out to him because that song is absolutely an equal part co-write. That was both of us uh, writing it together, uh, writing a thousand verses and getting rid of a lot of them and editing it down. And we took a lot of time to write that song. And, and we've actually, we've never recorded it together. And that's something that I'd like to do because his voice on it is stunning. He was here at Green Guitar not too long ago. Oh, cool. Well, I couldn't remember the young lady that he was traveling with. But um, yeah, what, what a wonderful song that is. So the sea took one last look and turned away. And the shore was more than strong enough to stay And castles melted back into the sand Driftwood drifted up into the land Rocks rose up proud in shiny skin Shells began their gossiping again Songwriting, I, I, I'm always fascinated by 
people's ability to do it. I mean, I, I can write lyrics or I, I keep a journal and I'm able to write verse that's, Mm -hmm. that rhymes and has a certain, um, meter to it, but I'm not trained. I have no, I have no idea the difference between iambic pentameter and something else. Most songwriters don't either. (laughs) But I don't hear music with it. You know, I, I, I write full lyrics, but I don't hear whether it's a waltz or uh, a ballad, I don't hear the music. So if I was ever to go down that path, I'd have to find someone that could do the, the melody. So being, to be able to do the melody and the lyrics at the same time. Now, you teach in songwriting. Mm-hmm. I um, teach songwriting, yeah. Um, is that... Do you enjoy that? Or I love it? it. I have like so many ideas to give to you because when you say I need to find somebody to write the melody, I want to say, no, you don't. You just need some tools to find the melody that's inherent in the words that you've written. Because there's melody inherent in lyric and in rhyme. There's a rhyme in there. There's I, I'll guarantee you that anything that you've written has already has a waltz in it or it has a 4-4 four, four time or it has a 3 If I ever time. feel confident enough to let anybody else Well, you should take that me. workshop. Yeah, because that's what we, that's how like Mary Gaucher teaches, Daryl Scott teaches, and this is, we kind of all teach the same way, which is, um, in a way, the way we write. We teach how we do it, which is, um, you know, I definitely have musical ability and I was trained as a musician, but I didn't write my first song till I was like 30. Um, well, I was um, 55. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was trying to make my way after my partner passed away and I just had this little place that I still own that's on a lake in Ohio that's been in my family for 50 or 60 years now and I went up there in the dead of winter when there's nobody else there and just said I'm going to start trying to write these thoughts and work these emotions out Mm -hmm. on paper as if I were a songwriter whether Mm -hmm. I ever show them to one of my artistic musical friends to help me take it to the next level. Yeah. I don't know whether I ever do that, but I was amazed at how easily it came sometimes. Yeah. Just like in a rush where a whole verse yeah. would come or a whole thought. And then when I would try to finish it, it would be like it was two thirds of the way there. And I yeah. just couldn't finish it. But um, when I was talking to, to Tim Easton um, about songwriting and, and the, the, I'm sorry, Radney Foster, mm. specifically the songwriting with soldiers mm-hmm. uh, that he and Darden Smith I do that. Uh, do that. It's it's another, but it's also another source of revenue. Mm-hmm. You have to, I think, be able to diversify. Oh yeah. As a DIY artist, I would think. Well, as any artist, unless you're unless you're you know, unless you are absolutely a mainstream commercial pop or country artist. Um, Everybody has to find alternate streams of income because the music business doesn't support artists anymore. The music business supports the business people. Um, And so, you know, I have friends in the blues who are stars and they, you know, you just don't make money from music like you used to. There's no publishing income. There's no, um, the royalties, royalties. royalties are down. And, and it's a, it's one of those conversations that I think, um, leads to a lot of negativity. Um, and it, I, I, I tend to think it, it seems like artists and songwriters and creators sit around and grumble a lot about this. And it's true because, and I think we have a right to, because what ends up happening is if you're a creative type or a creator of any kind of product or art, 
and you feel like the world is not supporting the thing you create, and to be honest, support means give money to, to use, then you feel like you're not you're being undervalued, um, and there's definitely a valid valid grumble to that. But at the same time, is that going to stop us from writing songs? No. Is it going to stop me from wanting to hear great songs? No. So right now, we're in a uh, I think it's a cultural phase of the workaround. Um, and so what it makes me do is well I can fight the system and be in just stay in a negative zone. And I know a lot of songwriters who made a lot of money off of royalties, just songwriters, not performing songwriters. And you know they they could count on like fifty grand, a hundred grand a year. And now they're getting a second job at Home Depot, and that's depressing. I feel blessed that as a performing songwriter, um, if I want to make some money, I just put it together a house concert or, you know, I, I'm on the road a lot and I make a living from that or I can teach workshops. And there's all these different things that I can do. And there's this huge network of people that are dying to create and they want somebody who knows how to do it, lead them. And so workshops and retreats and um, things like that. And so it, in, on some level, it's the wild, wild west out there. Um, anybody can make a record. Anybody can put a song out into well, the, the technology has enabled that. It, to it's be all the there. There's the no home. gatekeepers. It's chaos. Yeah. But the beauty of the chaos is you can try anything. At the same time, the challenge in the chaos is that those of us who are creators, there's no, uh, there's no one's getting signed to a record label deal and hand, handed a half a million dollars to just play around in the studio anymore. And so, is my ceiling is lower. So, but that's kind of a, a, a modern construct anyway. Uh, I mean, if you go back to the tradition of the traveling troubadour, which yeah. is what you all are 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 in. Um, it was about going from town to town and finding a patron or finding a community mm -hmm. that that would accept your art and yeah. let you play and support you in that way. Or, or back in the in the day of the of the Medici's or whatever, where they mm -hmm. would would take a whole community of artists that they would support. Um, it's kind of gotten back to that with all of the, the Kickstarters and yeah. and crowdfunding or whatever. You I, find your little community that will support you that help you yeah. get your art out there in the ether, and then you then you take it out and try to. It's always. It I think it's always been there. It's just alongside that has been a business model that um, threw a lot of money at a lot of stuff and had a lot of tax write-off. And now that money's not there in the mm -hmm. business model. And so now all of a sudden we're looking around and there's an internet that's you know, that gives us all access to everything, but there's always been patrons supporting artists. And, and so, um, it is, it's, it's great. It also, you know, you, I can't go into music. I, when I talk to young people who are like, I really want to do what you do. I said, great. So you're not going to have a 401k plan. And there's a chance that you're only going to make $20,000 a year for a while. So I hope you have another way of paying your rent. Um, and if you have a student loan, you better have a job and don't think that when people say to me, I'm going to quit my day job and get on the road, I'm like, can you? Because you can't make, can you make enough money? Starving artists die out quickly. We are the drunks and the dreamers, the criers and cheaters, the ones you'll find down on our knees. We are the fortunate ones. We are the fortunate ones. We are fleers and fighters, lying backbiters, begging against a reprise. We are the fortunate ones. We are the fortunate ones.
it's a juggle. I mean, it's a juggle, and it's not easy. And that's why when people, it, it doesn't, you know, I, I happen to love it. I happen to, uh, my brain works really well this way. My brain works really well uh, with a lot of, lot of irons in the fire. I can, I am really great at compartmentalizing and multitasking. I Boy, I know I sound sexist when I say that, they say this, but I just think women are good at that. A lot of women I know are very good at um, multitasking and um, facilitating and mm-hmm. figuring out how to get something done in three phone calls, you know? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But like Tim uh, Easton's a great yeah. a model because that guy, he's on the road all the time. He's got a, he's got a, a child that he spends time with um, who's growing up. Um, he's always writing. He's always putting records out. He left the label system the same time I left the label system. So it seems like a genuinely happy person. He's a happy person. Yeah. Yeah. He's not fighting his demons anymore. Um, and I mean, he's just comes with, that just comes with some longevity. I think it comes with age because Tim and I are in our fifties now. So like you hit, I think you hit, you know, the struggle is the thirties and the forties and you hit 50 and it's like, Hey, you know, there's not much time left. And both of us and Rod Picott's another one where you see the time ticking and then you're like, Oh, I got to get this book out. I got to get these songs out. And, and I think that Tim and I are similar artists. Um, in a sense, I never thought I was going to be rich and famous. I just wanted to make, I, you know, Hey, it would be great. I'd love it. Um, I always had a dream that a song of mine would hit so I could buy my parents that their dream house. Mm -hmm. And you know, that didn't happen in time, but as long as I can pay my part of the mortgage, as long as my, my kid is, is healthy and we have enough money in case there's a huge emergency. And, um, I have some savings, um, so that, you know, I don't have to work until, you know, until I'm, Although I want to, Judy Collins is out there working. And she's almost well, eighty. So. You know, I'm I'm going to be sixty eight years old in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and and I'm not working or doing anything like I did in forty six years in corporate America. But I worked really hard, and I saved some money, and I was frugal, and not foolish, and so I have this little nest egg over here that is allowing me to do really what my heart and soul wants yeah. to do, wants to do now. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. But if you would have told me 10 years ago that this would be the life I was living, I would tell you, I was, you were crazy because, you know, Brian had just passed away. My son just hit 18. He joined the military, went to Afghanistan. My dog died. I mean, it was 2008 was just the most horrific year for Mm -hmm. so many people and so many levels with the economy crashing and everything. But that's what happened to me in 2008. And I just didn't know how I was going to recover from it. And I am thriving right now and I'm really, really happy. Um, And so when I talk to people that are in their 40s and 50s and think it's like, oh, it's the end. I go, no, it isn't. Just hang in there. You'll get to your second mountain. Mm -hmm. Um, That David Brooks book is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Just kind of took a right turn there. Are you, have you finished it yet? No, I just started it. I'm I'm listening to it um, as a, as an audible book. Um, But it, it's, I mean, my husband and I are listening to it. Well, when you said in your conversation with Craig that when you had that conversation with Kathy Matea and Mary Gaucher, mm-hmm. and they essentially talked about being at different levels of a mountain or mm-hmm. one of you's on a plateau and one of you's going out when he was coming yeah. down, um, that made me think of, the, of that book um, and how it has been so 
you know, instructive to me or illustrative to me of of how my life has gone so far mm. and how it might it might go in the future because I really did think I was going to be alone for the rest of my life and mm. just kind of be out there supporting, you know, the music scene or whatever. But that it really doesn't mean anything or much if you don't have somebody to share it with. Mm. You know, that I'm I'm so blessed that now I have somebody to share it with mm-hmm. and that it really is important to have a community. And I don't mean being tribal mm-hmm. about it, you know, but um, like like David says, we've spent the last 50 years being hyper-individualistic, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all about me and mm-hmm. me feeling good and doing what's good for, mm-hmm. for me. And boy, it feels so much better when you do it as part of a community, mm. a community that you're in in Nashville. I've met a lot of these people, and I don't know them. I can't call them friends, but people like we've mentioned. Uh, I wonder if I could just throw out some names, and you kind of just do yeah. some free association. Um, Stacy Huckabee. Oh, Stacy Huckabee. Yeah, uh, she's amazing. She's an extraordinarily talented photographer, uh, videographer, and blogger. And one of my closest friends. And just a great writer. She's a great writer. She's, she's a very, amazing. she's a loudmouth. Uh, oh, I've met her and I've spent some time with her. And, and, and in yeah, a good, but, I mean, loudmouth in a good way. She's a very opinioned, loud, brash, take no prisoners. Um, she's, she's a shaker. She goes into a situation that she sees is wrong and she shakes it. I think Stacy's also one of those people that um, uh, decided that she didn't, uh, you know, she's, She's, she, we're the same age, and she, uh, she changes uh, strangers' lives. Oh, yes. The That's work that she's she doing with the homeless and mm-hmm. just kind of some random yeah. you know, folks. She's like she's, the mayor of East Nashville. Yeah, she's, she's an amazing character, larger than life. They should do a movie mm-hmm. um, about Stacy. Um, do you know Tamara? Sayana? I do. I do. She's another one that just from, from just meeting her a couple of times, but, but following her path, in this project with Guy Clark mm-hmm. um, and, and the work that she did before. Um, do you all ever s- sleep? I mean, do you? <laughs> oh, yes. Very well. I mean, you're so creative. Yeah. And just... Well, Tamara worked, the, she was a radio um, promoter, and she worked radio for Songs for Bright Street in 2006. That's how I first met her. Um, so I've known Tamara for But she's been like... A long Radney's manager, and mm-hmm. she's been very connected to Chris Christopherson, mm-hmm. and and I did a I did a bunch of dates with Guy when she was with Guy, and um, in Texas actually, and Tamara and I ran around Texas together, so we've been friendly for a long time. Uh, Rod Picot. Um, a dear friend of mine, really good friend of my husband's. They're both, my husband is a short story writer and he's in the Appalachian uh, story writing. Like that's his community. And he writes, uh, it's kind of a genre that he calls grit lit. Is he an academic? Uh, yeah, he is. He's now, uh, he's, yeah. And uh, Rod and he kind of share stories back and forth. So they're kind of each other's uh, sounding board. But I met Rod years ago through the folk world um, in Hoboken. We did a show together 20 years ago. But we've also toured together. We've shared the same uh, booking agent. Um, yeah, I love Rod. I, I, I think he's one of the best performers out there. And um, and I love his writing. It seems just like a genuinely kind yes person mm-hmm. and what what he does share about his family with you know his mom and his dad or oh whatever it's just his stories about his dad are the best stories so so good yeah so good uh corby linker 
Oh, dear Corby. Corby came into my house a stranger. I did a Monday night, uh, what I call the East Nashville Song Salon, and I started it 10 years ago in my house in East Nashville right when I first moved there. And it was a Monday night uh, songwriting group. Basically, you'd show up at my house, bring a bottle of wine or some food to share. You bring a new song that you didn't mind people commenting on, critiquing in a way. And um, we passed a guitar around and, and Corby must have heard about it because he showed up. I didn't know him. Um, and I just fell in love with him, just charmed by Corby. He's so talented. And so talented. He did a lot of videos. Very visual mm-hmm. artist he, as well. As he did my videos, yeah. and then we've written together, and I I love Morse Code, his project with that, and we've just become really, he's a dear friend of mine. Have you seen the um, uh, Tim Easton's yes. role? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he shared that with me on his phone when we were yeah. in, in, in Okima, and I thought, oh, my God, yeah, you need to be acting, too, yeah. because it seemed to come really, really natural oh, yeah. to him. Yeah. Um, I would be remiss being in Kansas City if I did not ask you about Folk Alliance and mm. your connection or participation in Folk Alliance. I think I remember hearing you say in an interview that... Was it Richie Havens that told you about Folk Alliance? And no, but that's that's actually close. It was Richie Havens' guitar, His guitar player, player Walt Walter, Park. Walter Park. And actually what had happened was I was playing a show in New York City, and a guy named Tom Neff, who I didn't know, um, very larger-than-life human being, was at that show. And he was at a lot of music shows. And he asked me, he introduced himself to me, and I, he had a house concert. And he it turns out he was a board member of the Folk Alliance. He's also a board member of Kerrville. He's very active in the folk world, an early supporter of Dar Williams. And he heard me and he asked me why I didn't have a record out. Um, He was one of my early patrons. Um, And he said, I want you to come to the Folk Alliance. And I didn't know what he was talking about. Was it in Memphis then or was it here in Jacksonville? Jacksonville. It was a long time ago, like 2002 or three, something like that. Anyway, he brought me to the Folk Alliance and um, called, made a couple calls and got me a couple showcases and got me um, seen by some people. Official ones or the, the It was the ones? bedroom ones because mm-hmm. it was sort of like three weeks before. Mm-hmm. But I happened to do, um, I shared a bedroom showcase with a guy named Felix McTeague, who is... Um, Right now, he's a country writer. He's he's a like a row writer. Or? He's a row writer yeah. now, um, doing really well. He's got like a lot of top ten hits. He's written with Laurie McKenna. But at the time, he was a folky, and we just I'd never met him. I loved his music. I didn't know what this was playing in a bedroom <laughs> with a bunch of people. The show was at the, two o'clock in the morning. This was this was like packed because Felix, I think his. His, he was adopted as a child, but his birth mother is Maggie Roach. And he ended up finding Maggie Roach and, just, and realizing why he was a songwriter, and he had a relationship with her. And so Felix, at that point, was you know Maggie Roach's son that she gave up for adoption. Wow. And everybody was after him because he's got a... His songs are very loud and Wainwrighty, you know, and, and Roachy and... The you know, DNA. Yeah, so... Everybody was looking at him, and I happened to be sharing a show with him. And then it was like, and who's that? And so that one, the, my first moment there um, was like one of those lightning strikes moments because um, Sean LaRoche, who was a booking agent, and he was booking Mary Gaucher, introduced me to Mary. He saw me. Uh, Charlie Hunter, who was a manager at the time of Dar Williams, I think, saw me. Um, Cliff Eberhardt and Ellis Paul were in the room, pulled me aside, said, who are you? Do you want to come sing jazz standards with us all night long? Purple leaves. 
that are just getting started in Kansas City, um, mm-hmm. whether they should go to Folk Alliance or whether they should join or, or whatever. And I, and I tell them, I don't see how you can afford not to when you're in the singer-songwriting genre. Yeah, genre. but I, I will say something slightly critical, yeah. and, and this might be my first public statement. I, I owe a lot to the Folk Alliance, and I am very supportive of the Folk Alliance. I think they're too expensive for artists. Mm-hmm. I'll say it on record. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a problem with them as somebody who has a career now because it costs a lot of money for young artists to show up to get a show. Oh, it's at least a $2,000. It's 2000 And let me just tell you, if you get Investment. an official showcase, you have to pay money to, to submit, which makes sense. But then as an official showcase person, you have to pay money for the sound, which usually is not that great. And then everybody in your act has to join Folk Alliance and pay the registration fee, which is like 250 or 500 depending on when you register. All of a sudden... And if you get a showcase that's official at South by Southwest or Americana, they give you things. You don't have to pay anything more. That's it. They give you a badge or a wristband. For me, they gave me an official $500 registration for Americana. Plus, they give you a. Uh, they gave me like $200 to pay my band. My band just has to show up and do their show. They don't have to be part of the official conference. And I think that I wish Folk Alliance would go that way because... Yeah. That's interesting to know. I did not yeah. know that. And, and I'd like... I mean, I have a lot of friends who've been on the board. Um, I think Michelle Concession is now the president of the board, and she's somebody who I know really well. And I, I adore Angus, who's you know the, the executive uh, director. And I believe in the Folk Alliance. I just think... Uh, I... I, I I don't know how, like, I'm not a business person, so I don't know what the model would be, but I do think, like, in order to make it feasible for artists to show up, because it took me five years of, I mean, I went and I got seen, but it kind of took me a couple years of going to figure it out, um, and then to get actually a booking out of it, because, you know, people hear you, and then they put you down these house concert people won't book you unless they see you so they hear your name and oh yeah that's right Amy Spies I want to go hear her oh I heard about that song and then maybe you get into a contest maybe you get into the Kerrville contest and then they see you there and then they're waiting till February to see you at the Folk Alliance again so it's an investment on the artist part to show up and be seen and mm-hmm. I think it's really important if you want to do this to get into the middle and it was 
that was my master's class, my PhD in, in folk music business was going to Folk Alliance, going to getting up at nine o'clock and going to all of those panels. Um, I wish more of the um, industry would show up that supports what they don't like to call folk music, but really is folk music. Um, I wish Rounder Records and Compass Records and Dual Tone and 30 Tigers and all those people would be there. And I know that they are there, but I wish that all the publications, because it's like Americana has the industry. They ha I mean, the industry shows up. Folk Alliance is like, it feels like 80% artists, 20% industry. And so if it could balance out a little bit. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's interesting. I know that one of the first years that I went, uh, that's how I came to know Stephanie Urbina Jones, is she was um, looking to, to get here, and someone introduced us through, through social media, I guess. And I said, if you can get here, you can stay at my house. Mm -hmm. You know, and don't have to worry about the hotel and right. all that. You can stay at my house. Um, and she did. She came. And as a result of just literally going and going up and down the hallways, yeah. um, she got booked that following summer in festivals all over Europe. Yeah. And has, it has since segued into um, a very nice part of her career. Right. And right so now. that's what the beauty of the Folk Alliance is. And it really did. It was a way for me to get in the middle of the folk music business mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. and go, oh, the Kerrville Folk Festival is something I should check out. Oh, Rocky Mountain Folk Festival is something I should check out. Oh, that folk festival. Oh, look, there's this whole scene going on in Canada that I didn't know about. Oh, there's this whole, you know, oh, there's this group of Texas songwriters. Oh, there's this thing called House of Songs in Arkansas where that you just go and you write songs. I didn't know about any of that. And the panels can be very enlightening, too. I mean, I've thought yeah. about, I've done a few house concerts, not seriously about it, but if I... I was trying to decide, am I going to go the house concert route or am I going to do this podcasting thing, which yeah. I thought I was going to do 10 years ago and became so overwhelmed with that, with the, uh, the hardware and the software. I just kind of put it in the back of my mind, got the radio show, been doing that for now for 10 years yeah. and thought I'm going to get now that they make this so easy that you can yeah. stick a little your mic yeah. on and, and have a conversation. I'm starting to uh, take take note and advantage of the of the uh, relationships that I've yeah. garnered for the last 10 years. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue to the Folk Alliance thing. What the Folk Alliance really does is it gives you um, it gives you the relationships. And that's what this genre thrives on, is relationships. It's different than the commercial world. And I live in the heartbeat of the commercial world. And that's not the same kind of relationships. Like, if you have a major label deal and it doesn't click and you don't make it, it's kind of hard to then reinvent yourself and do house concerts because you're used to stadiums. I love the fact that, man, if that ever happened to me, that would be amazing. But I know that playing to 100 people is, is you know, that's great. I talked to the the guys in Band of Heathens about this once. Yeah, those guys are good they, friends. They, I saw them at uh, Austin City Limits Music Festival literally playing in front of 50,000 people yeah. or whatever. And within a few weeks, that was just the two of them playing the gospel lounge at Knuckleheads yeah. uh, to 50 people. Yeah. And I said, what kind of a mind F is that to play? And he said, I'd rather play to 50 people that I know were paying attention to me than 50 people, 50,000 people that were probably, yeah. you know, drunk and yeah, waiting for Willie. Could, could, care, could care less. Well, um, just a quick note about the ghost of Charlemagne. I think it's, I know that you've heard this, but I do believe it's your best oh, thank work you. thank and you. it's just stunning. Thank you. And I, 
so relate to it. I mean, I, I had a child at 40, my one and only. Mm. He's almost 30 mm. now. Um, I won't tell you what you're in for. <laughs> Don't tell me. Let me but, discover it. Yeah, what what you have right now, this age, I just, I just love up and, you know, I love it all. I'm actually going to see mine tomorrow. But, man, the first, like, 10 years mm. of having a little boy is just the best. Yeah, this is an amazing. He's 19 months old, so he's just on the verge of words. Yeah. It's just a stream of beautiful babble. I'm having so yeah. much fun with it. Well, you know, the, the big, the first big thing for me was when mine became mobile. Oh, yeah. And well, had to... He's way beyond that. Yeah, he's way beyond that. But uh, it's such a joy to follow your journey and to you know know just know since mm-hmm. i have about 17 years on you just know it it, it, it still will go like this but the, it's just the best yeah it's absolutely the best i think you're doing your best work thank you um i hope you come back to kansas city i'll come back and again you ask me. i love and it and i'm looking forward to tonight's show yeah and if you see me mouthing the words it's only because i've had the ghost of charlemagne on oh that's great rotation for that's great for weeks now thank you you're so welcome much. On the western edge of Germany Where the emperor lived and died The tower bells cut through the quiet Of the early evening sky They say his body's buried here And I can see the bones But I've had enough of castles They're just cold and made of stone And I'm out here on my own Trying to keep this thing on track Every day I quit this job By night I take it back I've just got a few more minutes In this tiny room off stage Before it's me And the ghost of Charlemagne Then I'll sneak out through the back After the after party starts I'll be too tired after two sets To be safe near any barn All these surface conversations In language not my own Reminds me how far away I am from any home Although tonight out there I felt close to the flame By morning I'll be hauling luggage through the rain And though it's rental cars and chain motels Cafes with clever names Some nights it's me and the ghost of Charlemagne thing that says that we were here before we die Something more than just a castle in the air So we
know that moment when the dreamer meets the dream and it's a lie. After years of climbing up, I see it's just the same damn sky and the clouds that kings have pondered. Yeah, they look a lot like mine. I dream because I know that I'm running out of time, and we're carpenters hammering at nails, building arcs, chasing after whales, tilting at windmills and hunting the grail. These little rhymes and relics, may they live beyond my name. 'Cause in the end, they're all that will remain of me and the ghost of Charlemagne.